0: Thank you. It was great to be here finally. Uh, it's to me this is hugely exciting that uh, this church plant is here. Uh, it wasn't my idea. It's God's idea. Um, when uh, I uh, was starting to talk to um, Peter Sonderegger last year about just himself and where God was taking him and leading him, uh, we—I think—I'm not 100% sure of all the. Uh, the sequence of things but I think it was over the holidays that um, he went his way I think he went to north central Queensland for holidays and I did my thing uh, over holidays and during that time I just felt like the Lord was saying uh, to me tell him to go plant a church uh, and you know came back in the new year and um, he, I think he asked to get together with me and then shared that that was on his heart before I had anything to say and so it was very easy to agree with his new idea because uh, it was God's idea. It's, it's an amazing thing. Jesus said he'd build his church, and he really is. And it's an amazing thing the way he does it. We're used to kind of institutionalized churches as we know it, all the local churches that are in Toowoomba. But Jesus actually got bigger ideas than that. And I actually think we're going to see a lot more of what is happening here. But it'll all be different. Everyone will be different because this will take the shape of how God works through the leaders that he's given you. And another church plant will be shaped through how God uses them. But, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't just stop with the leaders. Um, on, I think on Friday night there was a Bella program for the non-church girls in the Grand Central. Anybody go to the Bella thing? Anyway, no, not here. Um, and they, that meets every month about 100 or more non-church girls meet in the community hall at, at uh, Grand Central. And on Friday night, the, um, the uh, theme was Pirates Night. And I thought, pirates? What's pirates got to do with non-church girls? And I said, pirates, okay. What's that about? And they said, well, it's really about finding the treasure that is within. And I actually think that sums up the way God works that it's not just in a few leaders, but in every single person, and in every, and particularly every single Christian, there's God's got some treasure. The trouble is sometimes it's buried, <laughs> really buried. Uh, but the work of God is that as He heals us and connects us into community, and uh, we grow in Him and the knowledge of His Word and in love for Him, that treasure gets unearthed, and uh, and then. Um, the value of it, the value of you gets displayed and released. So to me, what is happening here is a little bit of the treasure that has been unearthed in three leaders and their two wives and one soon to be. Um, but it extends further than that. Every one of us have treasure. So it's a great joy from my viewpoint to see in Toowoomba treasure being revealed in many people's lives. I mean, I think on Friday night I saw it here artistically in the um, musical. Anybody see the musical on Friday night? Yeah, just how good was that? Or Thursday night? Just how she's famous? Is that the name of it? Uh, just you know, just the um, talent that's here—not not only in the students, but those that created it, wrote it—in Nathan and and um, Diff Nathan Hipsky. So there's a lot of treasure. So, folks, my only encouragement to you as you're here week by week is uh, I'm sure you've already been told this. Don't sit as passengers in rows. Uh, allow the Lord to do his work of unearthing the treasure that is in you and to see what he's going to do through you in this church. You know, as you develop into community groups, as you have a heart for um, the school or your community or your street or your home or your family or all of the above, Something of the treasure that God's put in you will be the treasure that he uses to connect his love to their needs. So um, I just bless um, the three leaders that you've got. I think they're amazing young men and their their wives. And, well, we'll say just leave it wives because um, hopefully the third one will soon make that a reality. <laughs> I understand the process and time is working on that. And that's great. Uh, so we bless them and keep supporting. You know, leaders are leaders. Sometimes um, church leadership is, um, well, I'm sure it's not onerous or difficult in a beautiful uh, new church plant like this. But I talk to a lot of pastors and I've been talking to a lot of pastors for about 40 years, which really dates me. And that's the truth. Uh, unfortunately, for many, it becomes hard yakka. And uh, that shouldn't be in the church of Jesus. Should it? it should be a delight to be a shepherd among God's people. So one of the ways it can be a delight, I mean, there's a lot of per- personal ways they can do stuff. But one of the other ways is um, that the sheep keep, uh, well, as I heard last weekend, uh, we always, in all relationships, you offer gratitude and or forgiveness, maybe both concurrently. Uh, So but gratitude is what we express to others And thankfulness and forgiveness is Okay, whoops, something's gone wrong here But you're forgiven anyway and I still love you Uh, That's that's the way relationships work, isn't it? And gratitude So I'm sure as you be a real voice of encouragement to your leaders And to bless them, to pray for them And when necessary, to forgive them Uh, Guess what? It'll work the other way around as well I'm sure they'll express gratitude to uh, your support and what God's doing in you, and also at times they'll they'll need to su- to um, express forgiveness as well. So that's the way relationships work. Otherwise, they don't work, do they? They fall down, they break up, they crumble. So um, God bless you. Can I just pray for you, Heavenly Father, to thank you for the three men and their girls and their families that uh, have have been. Um, Touched by you, called by you to plant something new and fresh in this place. God, that's just so exciting to me. And we pray a blessing on their lives, an anointing of God that will grow and develop on their lives, that the word of God will be rich in their hearts and you'll give them the ability increasingly to deliver that word to the hearts of the people that gather here. And Lord, out of that, a release It's through the community groups, through all the things that happen here, that many will come to the knowledge of Jesus, will grow in the knowledge of Jesus, and this will be an effective, flourishing church plan into the future. So, Lord, I just pray that that you just really bless this place, bless everyone that comes here. Draw people here in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to your name, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's great being here. Thanks. I'd love to just pray for you too.
1: Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbour, for we are members of one another. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you.
2: Hey, we're, uh, we're in the middle of um, doing a uh, quite an extended series, and it looks like it's just going to get longer, um, not so much the sessions uh, on Sunday, but uh, it's going to go most of the way through the rest of the year, on uh, on community, but... The overall theme for us since we've started the project is dealing with issues that have to do with the core DNA of what we think God's calling us to here at the project. Uh, we will be in probably Ephesians 4 for uh, some time, all right? so it'll be uh, a really good thing for you to uh, read it often. Um, I often recommend to uh, students that I teach how to preach, I it's good to read the chapter every day that you're going to preach on for uh, an extended period of time, and it'll be good for you to do that also. Uh, because you can, maybe even the whole of Ephesians you could read every day, six chapters, you can do it, all right? And uh, that way you get a chance to actually get inside Paul's head, because Ephesians 4 is very, very unity and community driven in Ephesians 4, and that's kind of where we're going to be setting up camp for a little while. Obviously we've got community groups um, that are starting. The community groups are not uh, the project's final solution to all the problems of the world, The community groups are a structure that enables biblical community to actually happen because as we'll see today, biblical community, sorry, sorry, community is assumed by the Bible. It's assumed that it will happen, all right? So if you get to the end of our uh, preaching on community and you say, I can get all of those things, I'm in another community somewhere else where I get that, that's fine. But all we want to do is offer to you community groups as a one-stop shop, so to speak, for you to get as many of the components of biblical community as the Bible talks about. Does that sound fair enough? So I might just pray and uh, we'll get started. Jesus, um, you existed and have existed uh, for all eternity in community, in relationship. And uh, not only that, but it's actually your death that brings a new community. And uh, so I just pray that you'd help us to understand that. I pray that you'd help us to plumb the depths of, uh, of what you mean. Uh, when you uh, start this new community, and that you'd help us uh, to understand it, I pray that you'd bring revelation, Holy Spirit, to uh, to my heart more and to uh, everyone else's heart this morning, of uh, where you would have us be. Amen. Who's uh, who's seen the movie about a boy? It's got Hugh Grant in it. I'm glad I got out Hugh Grant. I was thinking, man, I'm going to say Hugh Hefner for sure, but he wasn't in this movie. Hugh Grant, alright, Hugh Grant's in this movie, and basically, I'm going to show you a clip which uh, is on YouTube, but uh, basically the movie is all about relationships, here we go, I'll just roll it and you can uh, watch it, this is the intro, you don't need any context, here we go. Okay, you ready for this? As I'll ever be. As you'll
0: ever be. Okay, let's do it,
2: let's play, who wants to be a millionaire? Who wrote the phrase, no man is an island? John Dunn. John Milton John F. Kennedy John Bon Jovi John Bon Jovi, too easy And, if I may say so, a complete load of bollocks In my opinion, all men are islands And what's more, now's the time to be one This is an island age A hundred years ago, for instance, you had to depend on other people
0: No one had TV or CDs or DVDs or videos or home espresso makers as a matter of fact, they didn't have anything cool. Whereas now, you see, you can make yourself a little island paradise. With the right supplies and, more importantly, the right attitude, you can be sun-drenched, tropical, a magnet for young Swedish tourists. Hi, it's Christina. I have
2: heard from you. I had a great time last weekend. So You're calm, okay? And I like to think that perhaps I'm that kind of island. I like to think I'm pretty cool. Here you go. Isn't that a good portrayal of our, uh, of our society, of our culture? We all like to be islands. But the weird thing about it is the movie actually goes on. If you've seen the movie, it actually goes on basically to say it's not worth it. If you've got the opportunity to be in a relationship, it's far better than being an island. And as Hugh Grant transitions through till the end of the movie, what you actually find is he does forsake all of the freedoms that he's learnt to enjoy as being an independent man and uh, finds actually the depth and the richness in relationships. But it's a curious thing about relationships, isn't it? Because we actually have a love-hate relationship with people. Fair comment? We do. In a sense, we're actually very ambivalent about people and about relationships because there's a whole side to us that actually wants to extend ourselves toward relationships, but there's also a whole side that wants to withdraw from them. And some of the reasons for this... um, well, let me throw this one in first. We all know, and, and if you were here for uh, the Father's um, the household and father's message, which is actually uh, online if you want to have a bit of a listen to it, when, we're, when I went through the uh, father's and household um, message, what I indicated is that because the Trinity exists in community all of the time, then everything that the Trinity spawns in a sense actually creates community and it creates relationship. And this was the case absolutely before uh, Genesis 3. All right, But obviously, if you know what's in Genesis anyone know what's in Genesis 3? Sin, the fall. Okay, So you started off with something really, really good. And all of a sudden, sin comes up, comes in and absolutely messes with it. And I actually think this is a, the main reason why we have a love-hate relationship with people. Because what we actually find now is that people tend to run from relationships that they absolutely need. They do, and I wonder whether you've actually done that where you've run from it. Sometimes uh, we find uh, that the damage that can be caused by uh, being in relationships with people is just too much to risk. Now this is interesting, I could get myself in trouble here, but one of the things I've noticed over the years that I've been alive, and older people might go, you don't know anything yet, fella, and I probably don't, all right? But one thing I've noticed over the years I've been alive is generally speaking, males tend to be weaker at having deep and meaningful relationships, but females have got a far greater propensity to be deep and meaningful and have substantial relationships, but they also can be far more damaging than what relationships can be between males. Is that okay? Is anyone reaching down for the rotten apple in their bag? It's just got a red laser dot in my head right now. No, no. But it, it's kind of true. And I think it actually works that way with a lot of mechanisms in life. The greater the potential for good, the greater the potential for harm. And some of you, no doubt, have been hurt. Sometimes we actually long for relationships, but we actually only long for getting our own satisfaction out of them. It's a very selfish um, motivation. And they're actually really messy. Has anyone noticed this? Relationships aren't clean. I mean, anyone who's been married for long, longer than about 10 minutes, right? or probably even before you get married, knows that The the incredible depth and the meaning and the sustenance in a sense that comes from the closeness of the closest relationship can turn destructive very, very quickly. It's like the Melbourne weather, isn't it? It could just, all of a sudden we're all sailing along fine and then all of a sudden a force 10 gale hits and you're kind of thinking, where the, where the heck did that come from? And that's kind of relationships. They are messy. They're a hassle. All right, it's a bit like what Ian was saying before. People offend each other in relationships, and when you offend each other, that's, that can go from like a, a small little bitty hassle to like, you know, someone's just picked up their rock and just clocked me right in the forehead with it. Right? It can just be really, really difficult. They actually hurt. Uh, Tim Keller made what I think is a very perceptive statement about forgiveness. He actually said, uh, when someone forgives what they're actually doing is they're deciding to bear the suffering of the evil act that someone else had done to them. Instead of repaying it, and the person who did it paying for the suffering that they've caused, the uh, person who forgives says, I'll bear the suffering. It hurts. If you're going to forgive someone in a relationship, it's going to hurt. We can guarantee you that. So what do we do? We keep people at a safe distance. Um, Because honestly, it's just too complicated, isn't it? And so we live in this ambivalent land where we're just kind of going, yeah, we do actually want relationships, but no, it's actually far less messy to be on an island on your own. And they consume lots and lots of time. A couple of things uh, I just wanted to throw in about about community and relationships, and this is a uh, fascinating thing. This is a couple of things from Tim Keller. He actually said... uh, a couple of things. One thing he said is there's actually been some research out now that uh, says that as our culture becomes more high tech uh, what they're actually finding is that people need high touch. They need more relationships. As as it becomes more Facebook and sitting in front of a computer screen, I mean probably I get more frustrated talking to well, pressing buttons on a phone now than what I used to. I don't know whether you feel that but sometimes you ring up a company and I just want to talk to someone. That's what I want to do. I don't want to go through 17 different menus, hit the wrong one, and then hear them say, "To repeat these options, press star." You know what I'm talking about? They just want someone to help out. And I think as we get more high tech, we're going to need to have more high touch. A couple of other things Keller says about community, which I reckon are really fascinating too. One of them, he says, um, "If you go, if, if community is essential to your life," he said, "as much as you try." Uh, In in one area, he says it's it's essential to your own sense of yourself. As much as you try to push all of that out and say it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of me, you still do get a sense of yourself in the context of community. And another one he says is uh, anytime someone enjoys something and has some aesthetic or creative pleasure, what do you want to do when you enjoy an aesthetic or creative pleasure? You want to share it because that's actually part of the enjoyment. And so uh, Keller goes to the point point. he says, we absolutely need community because that's part of our enjoyment of life and our enjoyment of creativity. So let's uh, just take a couple of steps back. Why, what causes community to actually uh, unravel? You get a really clear sense of this uh, out of Genesis chapter 4, uh, which is the story of Cain and Abel. So you can read this with me. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock, and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry. This is the first recorded relational breakdown between people in the Bible. And his face fell. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and he killed him. So what you've actually got in Genesis chapter 3 is you actually see the first recorded breach of relationship between God and people. So you've actually got a vertical breach. But what you actually notice is that absolutely every time where there's been a vertical breach, that breach actually goes horizontal between people. And you can see that really clearly here. It's not until Cain and his offering got no regard from God, that Cain actually gets really dark with Abel. So Cain's vertical relationship with God broke, so, and then it went horizontal. And that's actually what you find in the whole of our community. This is the mechanism that's going on. When relationships break down, it's because a vertical relationship is broken down first, and then the horizontal ones get affected by it. The really, really cool thing, and me and I hope some of you say amen, at least in your heads to this, is the gospel reverses this. The gospel reverses this and actually brings a message of reconciliation. And this is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.18. God, through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of? Cool. So here's how it works. You now have been reconnected with God. And what that should mean is that relationships between you and other people are on the improve But not only that, God commands you to go out and help other people to get their vertical relationships right, which will affect all their horizontal ones. Amen? That is really exciting because there's a lot of people who are really badly hurt by dodgy relationships. And what's the key for all of those people to get those things mopped up? Get the vertical right. Go and help them get the vertical right. We don't want to send them to a therapist's room to work out a whole bunch of tricks a whole bunch of tricks and techniques just to get horizontal relationships working right the bible is very clear that you get the vertical right the horizontal will start to work out and that actually applies to all of us here with a group this size it's entirely possible that there's some relationships that are strained and relationships are strained the first cause vertical then horizontal so whether it's you or the other people They're strained. If if the vertical relationship gets right, then the horizontal will be fine. And some of you might be thinking, okay, it's really cool because the Trinity were uh, in perfect community. Then they created Adam and Eve and that was perfect. But now we're post-fall. I don't want to do community anymore. I want to be really careful because we're post-fall and God did not plan for uh, there to be community after everything got messed up. Got bad news for you. He did okay but now it just becomes messy it used to be clean now it's messy so what does God do he says I want to get all of you people together and I'm going to put you all together in a community and it's going to be exciting and interesting to watch all right maybe days of our lives sometimes had the old saying like meat laid through a straw so are the days of our lives that's pretty true sometimes isn't it it's like relationships are a bit like sucking meat laid through a straw but Like it or not, this is what God's done. And it actually doesn't matter what age you are. We've got a really good spread of ages here. It doesn't matter whether you're the youngest person here or the oldest. God says you need to get in the pack with community and relationships. That's the way I've designed it. Not just pre-fall, but post-fall. So just get in the thick of it. I'm just going to persuade you that this is the case. This is out of uh, Ephesians 4, verse 3-6. to Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body... One, God's saying, there isn't more than one, there is one, that's all there is, there's there's only one, I'll make a couple more comments about that in a a minute, and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, we talked about that last week, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all, what is the most oft-repeated word in that whole section, one, all right, And you will notice, curiously, that you actually get the whole Trinity there. You've got the Spirit there, you've got the Lord, which Jesus is commonly called, and you've got the Father. So here they are again, up to no good, (laughs) creating community out of broken people. So here's the bottom line. The reality, the literal spiritual reality is if you love Christ, you are one with every single other person here. So what's the job? The job of the church is to make visible something that's true in the spiritual. Fair enough? And that's going to be hard and it's going to be messy and you don't actually have the option of saying, I don't want to be one with that person because you didn't make that call. God made the call. He said, I'm making you one and you are literally spiritually one. So let's make true on the surface what's true underneath. I'm just going to make a couple of comments about some ridiculous things that people say, all right? And they're ridiculous theologically, okay? This is not my opinion that they're ridiculous. They are ridiculous theologically. Here's the first one. I heard this one just over 12 months ago. I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. Pretty sure, you know, if you go to Ephesians 5, it actually says that Jesus loved his church. And what did he do for his church because he loved her? He gave himself for her, all right? Now, I was sitting there listening to this guy talk, and he's a good Christian man, but I sat there and I just thought, man, you wouldn't agree with Jesus. And just so that you know, in this church, we think not agreeing with Jesus is a bad thing, <laughs> all right? We think he's smart, and mostly we're not. So we listen to him, and if he says he loves his church, it makes it a ridiculous statement to say, I love Jesus, I just don't like his church. Now, if they're saying I don't like the way that people act... Well, I mean, that's the kind of community that God's put together. He's seen fit to put people together with all different strengths and weaknesses and brokenness. The other one, I am a Christian. I just don't go to church. I think Jesus would think this is just unheard of. Now, if you mean church as uh, a Sunday morning just coming to a service like this, yeah, probably you could get away with not coming. All right? Probably shouldn't say that. But we're not getting paid to do what we're doing. Okay? <laughs> We think this would be really good for you to be here, okay? And we're really glad that you've come. I'm not, Yeah, oh, jeez. <laughs> but if you're talking about being part of the body, that's not optional. It's not optional because Jesus never made it optional. In fact, it's actually the complete reverse. Well, he said, you need to be part of a community and you need to be part of a community because it's actually going to bring about the change and a whole bunch of things that God has got planned for it. One more comment back on this previous screen. Have you ever heard that statement, um, when you marry someone, you marry their family? I reckon that's true of the church. You marry Christ, you come to faith in Christ, whether you like it or not, you get the family with it. All right. And there's sometimes God's family maybe acts like some kind of feral families, <laughs> natural families, but good luck with that. All right. You've got to negotiate that, you get God's strength to work through it, you get the Holy Spirit... And, other people's giftings come into play. We'll get to all of that uh, in the weeks down the track. But you marry Jesus, you marry His family. It's just how it is, all right. And part of, I mean, if you, part of those who have come visiting the project here is to work out whether God's calling you to be part of this family. And it actually isn't about whether you like us or not. It's actually about whether God's calling you to be here. That's what it's about. It could well be that God actually calls people who are really offensive to one another to be in the same group together. That makes for some pretty interesting fireworks, but it also makes for some huge opportunities spiritually um, to work things through. What you actually find biblically um, is there seems to be a bit of a pattern biblically that grace comes and then definition of community comes. Uh, I'm going to fess up to uh, some theological inaccuracies in my head right here. What do you think is the purpose of Old Testament laws? Is it God just getting on his cranky horse and telling everyone what he doesn't want them to do? Is it another way to heaven? Is it like, okay, here's all the laws. If you get those right, I'll let you in. You know, It'll be like twisting his arm, but yeah, okay, I'll, I'll let you in if you get them all right. What actually occurred first in the Old Testament? We're talking about the Mosaic law. Did the people get given the law first or did they get saved from Egypt first? Which one was it? They got saved from Egypt. So you notice this? Grace actually came before law came. So what is the point of the law? Well, I want to suggest to you that the point of the law is that God has started and inaugurated a new community. He says, this is how I want my community to act. For example, he thinks in a community, in his community, that murdering people is uncool. He's happy with that one? <laughs> all right. Because you just that's going to cut our numbers. All right? You come to church and 20 of us have just killed the other 20. And I don't know. Just take their wallet out of their back pocket or something. I don't know. So that you can put the tithe in for them. But I don't know. That's what God does in the Old Testament. Grace. And then this is the inauguration of the new community. And this is how I want them to behave. Jesus does this. You notice in Luke 6, Matthew 5 and 6, where Jesus is preaching about the Beatitudes. You could sit there and actually come up with a whole bunch of rules and just go, you shouldn't do this and you should be meek and you should be crying more. Okay? (laughs) But he doesn't, he's not actually doing that. This is not actually a list of rules. The Beatitudes are Jesus' inauguration of a new community. It's not the Israelites anymore. This is everyone and this is how I want my new community to behave. And strangely enough, you actually see this pattern in Ephesians. If you read the first three chapters of Ephesians, there's a lot of grace and there's a lot about household and family and being adopted. And uh, I've already preached uh, on, on the household, the New Testament household at the end of chapter 2 of Ephesians. So what does Paul do in Ephesians 4 and 5? Well, he does what every other household in the first century did, was they had household rules and codes. But he takes it a step further and he says, this is the way that God's family is meant to act. Okay? This is exactly what he does. This is how you should behave. This is the culture in the new community that he's creating. Which brings us to this point. God actually puts broken, different varieties of broken people in community with each other and thinks it's a good idea. I've always, I've often, uh calling a half joke, but half serious with students at school. If God was picking a soccer team, you know at school, I don't know whether this ever happened to you, but you know at school, you're in the playground and someone gets to be the person that gets to pick the team. Alright? And who do they go for first? You know, the first person who gets first pick, who do they go for first for their team? Yeah, the best one. Alright? Then the other guy goes for the best one. And who's the one that gets left to the last? Peter the <laughs> All right? The person who's the worst gets left till the end. And I've often joked, I said, this is interesting because who would God pick if he was picking a team, a soccer team? Well, he'd probably pick that amputee that only had one leg. Wouldn't he? I mean, this is his style. I'll pick the amputee and that guy's a double amputee, so he's in a wheelchair and we'll play soccer with him because he actually thinks... That getting people together who are a bit of a mess, who can't really do that much, is really cool. It's actually, the way that he wants to do things is actually counterintuitive to the way that we think it should be done. We would think, oh no, you pick everyone who's got something in common um, and and everything's going to be sweet. And he goes, no, no, I'm going to pick the people that hate each other and I'm going to save them and then I'm going to put them together. And we'll, at least he and the angels will have fun for a while watching while he empowers these people to actually get on with each other. And this actually happens in marriage sometimes, doesn't it? Not that they're enemies. I hope you don't go marrying your enemies necessarily in marriage because that'll make it interesting. But this uh, the old line, isn't it, that opposites attack, <laughs> which is pretty true. But it is true also that opposites attract, don't they? And you think you've got something really cool and then about two, two years into your marriage, you're just kind of going, whoa, man, like this is just, there's times where this is combat. Alright, not, not literally physically, but it's just pretty intense kind of stuff. But that's actually a really good thing. Someone who's mature will know that this is a really good thing. And you actually realise that you're quite broken. And some of you probably heard that statement that marriage is like, uh, you walk for the rest of your life, you're living with a mirror. Alright, and this person's reflecting to you your brokenness. Uh, which if you've got humility is a really good thing, but if you're proud it's going to be really messy. But what's interesting about this is in Ephesians 4.16, and this is the New Living Translation, this is how they translate it. It says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. If you just let that sink in, you know what that means? That means that He picks broken people who are going to be at odds with each other to make something perfect. Like in the messiness, and the the frustration and the hurt of broken people bouncing into each other, that is an amazing thing. But that's the plan. I'm just letting you in on it. All right? I'm letting you in on the plan. That's what it is. Why does he do this? Well, God does it because, uh, and we've looked at this in Ephesians 2.22, because we're his home. This is where he wants to live. He wants to live amongst a group of broken people that bounce into each other and often encourage each other, but sometimes hurt each other. Uh, that 's ephesians two twenty two in him you are also you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit, but not only this, but you actually see in uh, ephesians three ten that the church is the, the one of the purposes of the church is that we would display the manifold wisdom of God now on the surface you 'd go putting him and her together well that 's just not there 's no wisdom in that, but when they come together. And when a group of people come together who are broken, who sometimes hurt each other, and God does some amazing things for it, doesn't that show incredible wisdom from God? And empowering from God? God puts even enemies together. This is a uh, scripture you may have read and just glossed over. This cracks me up. All right, Luke 6.12 In these days, he went out to, to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, so this is Jesus, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. Jesus, his plans are counterintuitive to what we think. Would you pick someone on your soccer team who you knew was going to kill you by the end of the game? I mean, the guy with the AK-47, you're kind of going, oh, I'll let the other team. or well, maybe I don't want the other team to have him either. You know, I'll call the cops and get him taken off. But at the bottom there, you've got Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He chooses a guy to be in his community on his team that's going to kill him. But even more than that, does anyone know what a zealot is? Let me tell you what a zealot is. One commentary I read said a zealot was one who had advocated revolutionary opposition to Rome. What did he want to do? Simon the Zealot, he wanted to overthrow the Romans. Okay? Does anyone know what Matthew did for a job? Tax collector, who for? The Romans. Do you get this? This makes for an interesting community group. Alright, here's Matthew sitting there and he's going, Well, I kind of work for the other team. And this guy's going, well, I wanted to kill him. Yeah, they're going to have some nice discussions, aren't they, in their community group? But this is what Jesus does. He takes people that are even natural enemies and actually puts them together in community with each other. Another interesting thing about, uh, I mean, think about, you know, even think about Peter and Andrew and the guys who are fishermen, who are business partners here. Imagine even being in it with Matthew, the tax collector. I read in one commentary that, uh, a tax collector had a similar social status or standing to a brothel owner. He began, man, we just drag fish in, man. We don't do what you're doing. And then you've got Simon the Zealot there. And then there's another dude who's packing an AK 47 later on in the, in the, in the three year trip that they're on together and he's going to take down the leader. Yeah, that's, but that's the way Jesus does it. He puts a community together and he puts together people who are even natural enemies. D.A. Carson, I'm um, just going to read this extended quote to you because I think it's an outstanding quote about community from uh, D.A. Carson. He says this, I suspect that one of the reasons why there are so many exhortations in the New Testament for Christians to love other Christians is because this is not an easy thing to do. Many fellow Christians will appear to be at least initially or to the immature little enemies. To put the matter differently, if Christians love Christians, it is not exactly the same thing as what Jesus has in mind when he speaks rather dismissively of tax collectors loving tax collectors and pagans loving pagans. What he means in these latter cases is that most people have their own little circle of in people, their own list of compatible people, their friends. Christian love must go beyond that to include people outside the group. The objects of our love must include those who are not In It must include enemies. And this next section is uh, outstanding. Ideally, however, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. And look around. (laughs) What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common essence, common jobs or anything of the sort. So what he's saying is that almost every other community group has something in common that actually binds them together. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they've been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in the light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. So, in a sense, all of us coming together as part of the project. Some of you just kind of going, "Well, some people I wouldn't get on very, wouldn't get on with very well." Why is that the case? Because the thing that actually unites us here in the project is not that we've all got something in common, and we like cabbage patch dolls or we like driving go-karts on the weekend. All right. Girls down the front are going, Have you got one? No, (laughs) just kidding. It's not because we have these similarities, it's that we actually have a similar allegiance. And so, what you end up with is you end up with people sometimes that don't have a whole lot in common, but they all love Jesus and they come together to bless one another. That's Jesus' plan. And what's his plan? His plan is actually to build people up to maturity. All right. I said to someone at the start that I've got to stop doing these object lessons, right? But I kind of think, I could stand and tell you about this, but I'll show you, all right? Let me just show you a, a scripture or two first. Ephesians 4.11 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. This is a major pressure release valve for the leaders in this church. Major. Okay? Let me ask you this question. Based on verse 12 there, who's the one that's actually building the body up to maturity? The apostles, prophets, teachers, or the people in the church? Because if you actually read that, and feel free to go and check out some other translations, but what Paul is actually saying here is the job of the leaders, the job of the people with these gifts is, is, is to equip you so that you can build each other up. So that the actual responsibility for maturity for all of us doesn't just lie upon the leadership, it primarily lies upon us. So that means if we don't get to maturity, it's not that the leaders necessarily did a good job—a bad job, I should say, although if they didn't equip well, they would be to blame, but the actual responsibility of moving people toward maturity is, lies on absolutely all of us. And the way that God wants to do this is by putting you in community with people that bump into you and irritate you sometimes. Here we go. So, what I want you to imagine I've got a rock here, right? I've actually got six rocks. And uh, you know, community, and this is the way, this is actually the way that uh, Jesus wants community to happen. He wants each of us to be in community together because that's actually going to be his way of turning you into a gem. My uh, granddad passed away some years ago, but my granddad, um, he loved collecting stones and gems, and he had this machine, uh, and all the machine did was just rumble the rocks around together for hours and hours go overnight, but we go for days on end. Why? Because as the rocks bump into each other, what happens? Yeah, they smooth them out. They take the rough edges off. So... I don't know who this is, someone who's dirty and, I don't know, that's someone, you know, and then you get someone else who's a different shape, it's got a few jutty-outty bits and you just kind of go, yeah, I know someone in the church has got a few jutty-outty bits and, uh, man, they could do, deal with uh, getting rid of that issue, so let's put them in community. And uh, then there's, whoa, these guys are different skin color, all right? But we're cool with that because Jesus saves everyone from the whole world, okay? So we'll put them in there. That guy's pretty flat, all right? And you might look at people and you think, oh, she's a bit flat or she's got a bit of an issue there and you just kind of go, I'll put them in, you know, personality-wise. And this person, oh, they're a little bit flat in terms of their personality, but I can see there's a couple of sharp edges where they cause trouble. So let's put them in community. And what's God going to do in community? It's just going to keep going, all right? Because it's meant to keep going until you die, all right? And uh, some of us, again, un- end up looking a lot smaller, <laughs> all right? Uh, but I'll tell you what, we're just going to lose, if you ever look in my bucket here, we're just going to lose a whole bunch of stuff that makes us rough and dodgy on the outside by being in community with each other. You get that? Dodgy little object lesson, but I hope you see it. Because this, this is the way that God wants it to happen. Let's keep going through. Ephesians 4, 15 to 16 says, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, what happens? The body grows so that it builds itself up in love. And uh, we'll be doing some preaching and teaching on uh, spiritual gifts because everyone's got them, whatever they are. And what's the point of your spiritual gift? So that you get built up in love. We don't have an issue with any of the spiritual gifts at the project here. If you go to, uh, this really struck me in uh, 1 Corinthians 14. 1 Corinthians 14 is one of the big discussions in the New Testament about tongues and prophecy. And Paul, out of all of it, and I don't want to deal with the ins and outs of the, the giftings at this point in time, but Paul at the end of it says, if I had the choice between having a personal gift of tongues or, or prophesying, I'll take prophesying. And the reason why he says that is because the prophecy can actually build everyone up. And that's, if you actually read 1 Corinthians 14, I think that's his main deal, is he's just going, to pick the thing that's going to build everyone up. If you get the choice, pick it and build each other up. This guy, uh, John Sheepers, made this interesting comment. When Paul is talking about becoming mature in Christ, he's talking about the body as a whole. It is the Christian community that together displays God's wisdom. That means, here's an uncomfortable bit, sin is a community concern. Have you thought that way? Very often. When you're fessing up your sins yesterday, did you think, whoa, like this actually affects other people at the project? Because it does. If it's actually your job to build other people up in love and God's given that to everyone to do it with each other in a community, that actually means when you go offline, it's so irritating when you're printing sometimes and the printer's just offline, isn't it? And I can't, there's one printer at the school here, I can't even work out how to switch it to online when it's offline. And it's a bit like that in community. If someone sins and they're getting stuck in a sin, they've gone offline and it's actually affecting the rest of the community. So at some level in community groups, without being controlling and forcing it upon people, there needs to be an opportunity where sin actually gets publicised, not by anyone else. You know, It's like we're going to make a neon sign of the thing that you'd struggle with all the time. But you get to just confess it. I and mean, that's what James 5 says. Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you'll be healed. So you ought to, in the right forum, actually throw out, look, I'm not doing well. And if you're in good community with other people, they will have noticed. You get that? They will have. If you weren't, they won't notice. But if you've been in good community and you've been making a good contribution to someone else, the kind of contribution the Bible assumes, they'll go, yeah, man, like, and I just felt like you've just been gone for the last three weeks. Your body's been here. You've been in church. We've been catching up with each other through the week in the community groups, but you're just absent, man. That means sin is a community concern. It impedes the growth of the community as a whole. My sin stops me playing the role God intends for me and that means that the church as a whole suffers and fails to grow in the ways it ought. When you uh, have a decision to be obedient or disobedient, um, which I don't think you've even got the right to make a decision between obedient and disobedient because you're bought with a price and you're not your own anymore. But when you're making that decision, you don't just think about how's this going to affect me. You think, how does this affect everyone? How does it affect the community and the body that I'm engaged with? Because it will. It absolutely will. Tim Chester makes uh, this interesting comment uh, in his book, You Can Change, on Ephesians 4 verse 31. 4.31 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. These behaviours all have two things in common. First they all involve other people. Second, they're all symptoms of thwarted and threatened sinful desires. Often we can't spot sinful desires, but when they're threatened or thwarted by other people, we respond with bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander and malice. One of the great things about living as part of a community is that in community people walk all over your idols. Woohoo! It's going, yeah, that's what we want. Those who are coming to the start of the community groups to say, yeah, I've got some idols. I just want you to trash for me. Truth is, if we don't put those idols forward, we preach three messages on idolatry of the heart, which are on the net, which you can get. But idolatry uh, is a heart issue before it becomes an external issue. And people will, as Chester says, people will press your buttons. They'll wind you up. And that's when you respond with bitterness, rage, and so on. And that gives opportunities to spot our idolatrous desires. So when you're close enough to someone else in community and they do something that presses your buttons and just gets you knocked, that is an opportunity to have a look and just see, is there an idolatry going on? Am I worshipping a different God? Have I got a sinful desire going on that's uh, causing all this frustration and this uh, anger? We're going to address uh, some of the other uh, characteristics of the new community that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4 uh, over over the coming weeks. Uh, These include uh, repentance, godly repentance, speaking the truth in love. Uh, As I mentioned before, gifts uh, being given to each member so that the household can mature, the family can mature. Uh, Leaders equipping the body and the body maturing itself, humility, a few of those things we'll be covering in in the coming weeks. Just wanted to tidy up a couple of issues to do with community and uh, I'll show you a quick clip and uh, we'll be done. The change in all of us should be all of these four things. Gradual. Well, sometimes it's quick, but most of the time it's gradual. Inevitable. It just should always be happening. And it's almost like once you've become Christ, no one should be able to stop it for an extended period of time. Internal. And symmetrical. All right? when, when it says symmetrical, what we're really talking about is uh, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, you don't get to take your pick as to which one you want to develop because the Bible seems to think that if you're developing uh, goodness, you're going to get gentleness at the same time and they all kind of grow together. Two, it may well be that the messiness of relationships is inversely proportional to the effect- effectiveness of them without sin. When they're healthy, there's nothing better. When they're not, there's nothing worse. That's probably going to be true. That's one of the things uh, my wife and I joke about having our uh, children. And I'm sure anyone who's had children would know that there are moments of being a parent where you just kind of think, there is no other place on earth that I would ever want to be than just being a parent right now. And then there are other moments where you kind of go, I would rather be anywhere else on earth than where I am right now. Because it's nasty sometimes. But this is the case, I think, with relationships also. Do I have to? You may be asking. If His redemptive plan, Jesus, caused Him to enter our world and get close to us and our mess, should we be surprised that He calls His children to do the same with each other? This is His plan to actually change you. Is get you close to someone else who's a bit of a mess too. Maybe things are going to happen that aren't really good sometimes, but that's all going to be part of it. That's going to be part of getting the edges knocked off and getting polished up. Be a realist about relationships and are not an idealist. right, idealists in relationships sometimes are really helpful and other times it makes things pretty frustrating for the person who's an idealist because relationships take a while to grow. And the truth is, if you're going to become part of the project here, don't expect it to be like, you know, like an oil well deep in the first 10 minutes of our meeting this afternoon. It takes a while to develop relationships and to develop depth. Relationships may seem inefficient, but they're counterintuitive to what we actually think, which is what I've... Uh, I'm actually not going to show you that clip. It's a clip from uh, Over the Hedge. I'll just read you something out of it. Anyone read this book, Larry Crabb's book, The Safest Place on Earth? Yeah, a couple? I'll read you just a little bit out of this, because I think this is a good way for us to close. Friends of mine finally persuaded their elderly mother to visit a doctor. It had been well over a decade since her last visit. Previous efforts at persuasion were counted with, ''Why should I see a doctor? I feel fine.'' Finally, she relented, reluctantly, and with only a thin veneer of anger covering her fear. Routine examination revealed trouble. More tests led to the diagnosis of cancer, and surgery and probable chemotherapy were prescribed. The angry veneer thickened. ''I should never have gone. I was getting along just fine without that doctor, and now I have to enjoy all these procedures.'' Her logic is not unlike ours. If we keep distance from one another, if we never take a close look at what is going on in us and between us as we relate, we really do feel better, for a time, sometimes for a long time. When the possibilities inherent in spiritual community are even dimly apprehended, we are both terrified and galvanised. It's a place where something bad might be seen, that one surface must be dealt with, but it's also a place where resurrection follows death, where real life is stirred up and can be enjoyed as never before, where the taste of life now wets our appetite for what lies ahead. That's the opportunity. Crabb, in his book there is saying the safest place on earth ought to be the church and the community in the church. And that would be our goal. It's not going to be a perfect one in the project. Don't expect that. But uh, as we seek after God and as we invite God by His Holy Spirit to come in and be part of it and to change us through it and to use us to change each other, who knows what God could do? Who knows whether some of you who haven't changed for a while, maybe the thing that's actually missing is being in community. Who knows whether some of you, maybe with some of those stubborn habits uh, or those stubborn sins that you just can't shift, who knows whether uh, the, the secret, the... The, the, the missing secret ingredient is actually being in community with each other. Because often it will be. Why don't you pray with me? God, there's a sense in which we could say you put us in this mess together. But if we said that, Lord, it would be saying to you that uh, our wisdom's better. It would be better to put cleaner people together or people with things in common. Not people who are going to bump into each other. But uh, you actually want, in the project, but in the church as a whole, to put people together that aren't necessarily friends. They're sometimes enemies. And, and in a counterintuitive way, that's the way that you actually want to bring your kingdom to bear on the earth. So God, I pray that you'd help us to understand that more. More than that, Lord, I pray that in the community that happens in this church, that there would be a really free flow of your life coming out of us. And Lord, I pray for lots And lots of times where we all walk around, even after church on a Sunday morning at community groups and uh, where we hear each of us saying things to each other that you maybe sometime may have expected a pastor to say, but now we realize it's our job. It's our job to help each other come to maturity, to encourage and to rebuke, to strengthen, to minister to each other. or to pray that that would happen in the project, Lord. And uh, you would... And that you would see that all of us, as a corporate entity, not as individuals, but as a corporate entity, we all grow up into Christ in maturity. And that you'd be really pleased with that. Please help us, Lord, because we often get it wrong and it often gets really messy. So please help us. Help us to understand grace and mercy and extend it to one another. Amen.